This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, week two is in the books, and it seems sort of like we've entered the twilight zone. The Georgia Swarm and Saskatchewan Rush were a part of a historic game on Saturday night. Somebody please break up the Vancouver Stealth. And this weekend, we have four solid games. All that and more on OTCB. What's going on, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. If you want to get a hold of me, you can. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. That's what we do. And what a weekend we just witnessed. And it's only week two. It was nothing like I thought. I went 0-2 last week. Or sorry, I went 2-0 last week in my picks. And I thought I was king of the mountain. And then I went 0-4. And I'm under the mountain right now. And I feel like a complete jackass. But as Doug Locker said when we had a quick little Twitter back and forth, it's why we love the National Lacrosse League. And I cannot agree with him more. The way this season has started and the way things are shaping up as of right now, it is just insane to just sit back and look at what the standings are right now. Put your hands up and be honest. It, if at this point in time, I would have asked you, say, a month and a half ago or a month ago, two weeks in, who would be tops in the East? Who would be tops in the West? And who'd be at the bottom? And if you were to go and look at the standings right now, how many of you actually would have predicted how it looks? It's quite interesting. Yes, the suspensions in Calgary and Saskatchewan have played a bit of a role in how these standings look. However, I take exception to a few things that have been said in the past and they've come to fruition right now. Remember when we used to talk about goaltender of the year awards and I kept on saying, why doesn't Aaron Bold get the respect that he deserves and how come he's not winning goaltender of the year awards year after year? And everyone kept on saying, oh, it's the defense in front of him. He's just a byproduct of Keenan's system and the guys that play defense on the floor. And this isn't taking anything away from the Georgia Swarm offense because they absolutely roasted the Saskatchewan defense. But they, the rush, that team didn't look anything like the team that we saw make a run to the Champions Cup the last two years. You can make excuses. You can find reasons why. It's the longest road trip of the year. They were without Bold. They were without McIntosh. They had some rookies in the lineup for their first ever game. I'm not buying it. This is a team that has basically been picked since week two of training camp. And it just goes to show how important Aaron Bold is to that club. But it also goes to show how darn exciting this Georgia Swarm team is going to be. Putting up 18 goals on that defense, no matter who is in that. To put up 18 on that defense, which many people thought was unbeatable, is downright impressive. And everybody needs to take notice. Because in my preseason predictions, and again, it's early and it's just their first game, but I thought that this Georgia team could be the dark horse in the East. And I thought that they would go as far as Mikey Poulin was able to take them. Now, Poulin didn't get the start, which was a bit of a head-scratcher. They started Brody McDonald, and he was pulled in favor of Mike Poulin. And once Poulin came in, he helped settle things down. The team played very well in front of him. And 
Georgia went on a ridiculous run through the rest of that game that I don't think people really understand how impressive it was. Because when you look at the score, it was 4-3 after the first quarter for Georgia. Within the first six and a half minutes, it was 7-4 Saskatchewan. And Georgia would outscore them 14-3 over the final, what's that, uh, 30 minus 9, plus 9, almost 40 minutes. Outscored them 14-3 over a 40-minute span. That is just ridiculous. They went six, Georgia went 6-for-10 on the power play. And they held Saskatchewan to three goals in the second half. Come on. How can you not be impressed with that effort? Now, it's not going to get any easier for Georgia. They have to go into Buffalo this weekend. And it's not going to get easier for, any easier for Saskatchewan as they have to go to Toronto this weekend. The good thing is they will get Aaron Bold back. We'll talk about those games in a little bit. But that's just the start. And that wasn't even the start. That was just the first game I talked about. Because we were talking about the suspensions and we started with Saskatchewan. So let's stay with the suspensions and go to Calgary where everybody anticipated the debut, the starting debut of Christian Del Bianco. And it wasn't the way he wanted to go. And truthfully, it's not the way I thought it was going to go either. Because I didn't think Christian Del Bianco was going to get, I don't want to say lit up, but get beaten that often that early. He only lasted 16 minutes, gave up 7 on 18 shots, and was pulled, I think, twice in that game. Now, Zach Higgins did play quite well. Made five, uh, gave up five in 44 minutes. Five goals on just under 40 shots. And, you know, it just goes to show you can be the best goaltender in junior lacrosse and be the next coming of the greats. And don't get me wrong, Christian Del Bianco is going to be a great goaltender in this league. But it just goes to show how much pressure there is on the goaltender position and how hard it is to make the jump to the pro league as a goaltender and why we often see goaltenders take two, three, four years to actually mature into their role and become a bona fide starter. It was unfortunate that it happened that way because... You know, you don't want this to be something that just knocks him down and shatters his confidence because I really don't think that's the case. I think Christian Del Bianco is too solid mentally to let that happen. But it was just unfortunate to see it happen because there was so much hype built around him. He'll bounce back, he'll get a shot, and he'll be fine. I think it was just an unfortunate situation where, you know, he was probably way jacked for the experience and the moment, and it just got to him. I said way jacked. That was awesome. Um, But that's just the case where, you know, it's not easy just to be, you know, praise and praise and praise and then have to go do it. And unfortunately, it didn't work out. But Zach Higgins came in and, as I said, uh, played quite well in relief. But how do we not talk about this Vancouver Stealth Club? You know, it was a tale of two fourth quarters in a sense because their fourth quarter on Friday night, they got outscored 4-1. to one. And then 24 hours later in Denver, they actually outscored Colorado 5-1 to one in the fourth quarter. And they scored the eight of the last nine goals on Colorado. At one point scoring seven in a span of seven minutes. Or they'd gone on a 7-1 to one run over the span of seven minutes. And just looked incredible. It was one of the best showings I've seen over a weekend by this organization in a while. And it just goes to show that 
all those beep tests and all the talk of conditioning that Jamie Batley spoke of during the preseason pays off because that game in Colorado, they found another reserve tank of gas when they shouldn't have been able to find it, having played the night before, having been up at like 3.30 in the morning to get on a flight to Denver and then have to... You know, go into the hotel rooms, check in, get yourself settled, go eat, take a nap, and then go play another game. And we talked, I talked about it on this podcast the, night, the, the week before, last week. To not go to sleep on the Vancouver Stealth or not go to sleep on teams playing the second night on back-to-backs. And Tyler Richards was fantastic both games. He kept them in that game in Colorado in the first quarter. And Dylan Ward was peppered all night. It was, I believe, the seventh straight game that the Mammoth had given up 50 shots or more to an opponent at home, dating back to last year. And even when Colorado found the momentum to start the third and took the lead and had the lead with four minutes left in the third. Vancouver found that extra gear. And, you know, calling the game for altitude on on Saturday night, you just watched it happen. And for some reason, Colorado was unable to, to stop the bleeding. And... Uh, I don't know why there wasn't a goalie change or maybe an incidental timeout. Anything to kind of stop the momentum, and Colorado was unable to do it. Eli McLaughlin played a career game. He had four goals for Colorado. It was really the biggest threat other than guys running out the back end for Colorado. But how many times does Reese Dutch go into Denver and just absolutely own the Mammoth? He averages over five points a game in Denver since he's come into the league. And he had nine on Saturday. He and Corey Small, I said this to Chris Wardle when we were traveling back on Sunday morning. I said, it looks like the WLA. Two Victoria Shamrocks leading the way. Two Vancouver Stealth guys leading the way. And they're 1-2 in scoring right now in the NLL. I'm sure that's going to change. Still teams who have only played one game. But Smallsy said it. In an interview, I think either with it might have been with the province or or can't remember who it was. It might have just been on the website. But he was talking about the the chemistry he and Reese have and how since they've been playing together for so long now in both Victoria and Vancouver that it's just second nature for them to know where each other is. And that duo could be one of the best one two punch in the NLL right now. You know, you look at some of the others that are out there. Dane and Benny. Um, Matthews and Ben McIntosh. Or even Robert Church. Like Saskatchewan, you could pick any one-two combo there. Even, you know, throw in, now you throw in Adam Jones. Noble Greer. Um, Thompson and Stats. Three different Thompsons and Stats. Like, name me a better one-two punch. Than those two guys. And the Vancouver Stealth. 2-0. With two massive road wins on the Rocky Road. Two massive divisional wins on the road. And they'll get to go home this weekend. To take on. The Calgary Roughnecks at home. Quick little rematch. And it'll be interesting to see how that game plays out. Because those are always fantastic games between those two clubs. And we're going to get it again this weekend. And I hope, and I truly, truly, truly do hope, that the Stealth being off to a 2-0 start, kind of having a bit of a resurgence here under Jamie Batley. Again, it's early, I know. I truly hope there's a massive crowd at the LEC this weekend. I don't know what else is going on in Vancouver. Um, the Canucks are in town, or if there's other minor hockey or junior hockey going on in the area, or high school basketball or volleyball tournament going on at the LEC. 
I just hope that there is a big, loud crowd there. We'll have to wait and see. Um, there wasn't a, really a big, loud crowd in Georgia. Uh, there was only under 5,000 and didn't really look that big. Uh, the crowd in Rochester didn't seem that big. Uh, but the Nighthawks, I, this is the other head-scratcher. Like, who saw, after after Rochester's performance against Toronto, did anybody think New England was going to go in there and lose? I didn't. I don't know many too many other people who did. And Rochester hung up 15 on the Black Wolves. And more impressive was the special teams play in that game. I don't know if it's impressive um, or if it's just zany. Pay attention. I'm only going to say this once. Once. That's not true. I'm going to say it a bunch of times because it's that out of control. Rochester went 9 for 14 on the power play. 9 for 14. New England had one power play the entire game. How does that happen? What's even scarier is, and I tweeted this out, the fourth quarter in Rochester this weekend saw eight special team goals, and there were only 10 goals scored on the entire quarter. That's just ridiculous. 9 for 14 versus 0 for 1, and 8 out of 10 in the fourth were special teams. It's just crazy. And Rochester outscores New England 11-3 in the second half. Like, some of the games this week were just bonkers. And I love it. And it's going to make this year in the National Cross League, if this is the way it's going to go, if literally everything is going to be unpredictable, I am beyond stoked. Because it's going to make calling games that much more, and watching games, that much more exciting and enjoyable for everybody. And I don't know what is the most parity you could have in a league. Some people hate that word and that idea. But how can you not like it when playoff spots come down to the last weekend of lacrosse? And I I love when that happens. And quite often it happens a lot in the National Lacrosse League. And if we finish the way we've started, we're going to be off to a hot start. It is going to be insane. And I cannot wait for week three. But we have some other things before we kind of talk about the stealth a little bit more. Um, Talk about the games coming up this weekend. Um, Some things that have just been going on in the National Cross League over the last little while. Um, Okay, let's, like, we got to talk about the elephant in the room. Um, NLL TV, again, wasn't great this weekend. Um, The game in Colorado, we only really heard, I think, a third of it, or maybe even a quarter of it, during the live broadcast. Um, when I contacted the league, because I my phone was got blown up, and everyone's like, "What's going on?" Blah blah blah. This is bad. What, what's happening? Why is there no sound? Blah 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 blah. Um, when I contacted the league about it, they said that it was on the sports rocket end, and they were working on it, and it eventually got fixed. Uh, apparently, there wasn't any audio in Georgia for the first little while, and then that got fixed. The wheel of death was around in the Calgary game, like. And I haven't gotten a response back on this question of are they moving ahead with subscription packages starting this weekend. Uh, Obviously, we're going to have to wait and see. But NLL TV hasn't been getting rave reviews as of yet. You know, when we we watch games from Colorado, Calgary, Buffalo, the picture quality is great, the production quality is great. That's because they're in NHL arenas and they have the the high-tech, proper equipment that some of the other arenas don't. And that's the problem that we talked about at the start of the year was going to happen. And 
Unfortunately, even some of those rinks have had issues coming out of them on the broadcast, and we're all hoping that now that we're at the stage of subscriptions, that all that will get fixed. Because if it's not, people aren't going to subscribe or they're going to start asking for their money back. So we'll have to wait and see. I don't know what numbers are like for NLL TV right now. But let's hope that the product continues to get better. Because the product on the floor, as we've seen, is fantastic. So let's not throw our computers over the bridge yet. We shall wait and see what week three has in store for us. Um, As you may have seen, we have the first few videos of uh, the U-Hawk era. And you know what? I don't mind it. I, I... I'm I'm glad it's not being thrown to like during gameplay, and I don't even know if that technology is available to actually do it during a broadcast, um, live kind of thing. I haven't seen it. Maybe I've missed it if they've actually been doing it in the middle of a game. But to go back and you know edit clips like they did with the Toronto Rock game, they had they had helmets, they had the helmet cameras on uh, Jesse Gamble and on Casey Behrens, and I like the the aspect of it. I like the ability for fans and everybody to see what guys are seeing from their vantage point. You know, taking cross checks, taking taking sticks up high, taking punches to the face, um, celebrating with guys, you know, how they're shooting. Funny enough, um, when I was in Vancouver for the uh, four-team exhibition weekend and I was doing some stuff for the Mammoth and I had a little GoPro camera and I was between the benches and I was filming guys running back and forth and stuff. passed in front of me and Aaron Bold was like oh that'd be great you should try to get one one of those mounted on a goalie's helmet so that we can see where guys are shooting and study shooters better I was like oh that's actually a really cool idea and then a few weeks later we get U-Hawk and I haven't seen it truly from a goaltender's vantage point can't remember if they put one on Nick Rose or not early on but um, that's putting those cameras at risk, putting one on front of a goalie's face mask. Um, but the the two videos that they did put out, I liked it. You know, they were they gave a good glimpse into what players see and, and how it sounds. And obviously, you're not going to get a true idea of what it feels like. But the two videos they put out, you know, and, and what we're kind of seeing from it is a great idea. I liked it. I like it a lot. So that's a thumbs up. And. The other massive story this weekend was the Thompson brothers setting a world record for the first time in professional sports history, four brothers played together in one game. Miles, Lyle, and Jerome on the Swarm and Jeremy with the Rush. It was fantastic. I loved it. Great story. uh, Great angle. Great publicity. It's a Guinness Book of World Records. Proven. Officiated. Done. I think it's great. And you know what? I love what the Thompsons do for the game. Um, Thompson's brother, Brothers Lax does some great videos. I think it's uh, an incredible angle. And it's crazy to think that after everything that happened while the Swarm were in Minnesota. And all the trash talk, in a sense, that John Arlotta had to weather, all the, you know, um, people doubting him and casting aspersions and saying he doesn't know what he's doing, me being one of them, with all the draft picks that he, you know, flipped and all the players that he flipped and... Fan favorites, Ryan Banesh, Josh Sanderson, Anthony Cosmo, just to name a few. And to now see where he's got in this club and the players that he has on it, he did a true rebuild. He said, I don't care what people are going to think. I don't care that, you know what, I'm going to hurt this the current present state of this team. 
I'm going to build for the future through the draft. And he's done that. He had Logan Schuss. He flipped it for Johnny Palace. Unfortunately, he still hasn't quite played yet. But he's gotten stats. All three, or two of the Thompson brothers through the draft. He got Jerome uh, through a trade. Jordan McIntosh is there. Uh, And look at some of the other guys that they've drafted. Shane Jackson, Randy Stats. Now they bring in Jordan Hall. They bring in Mike Poulin. Kyle Matisse has been there since day one. Maybe he does know what he's doing. It's but the most the the biggest shame in all of this is that the team left Minnesota. It's truly it it has to be a massive sore spot for a lot of people and not just the incredibly loyal original Hive fans in St. Paul and the surrounding areas that are craving to get a team back. I just wish they were still there to see all of this success and to see this great young team that is going to be a contender. And it just, it's unfortunate that they're not there anymore. But that's for another tale. We've already beaten that dead horse a few times. But the fact of this world record was just phenomenal. Um, kudos to everybody who got behind this and, and made it happen. Obviously, the schedule makers helped. Obviously, um, the Thompsons being there helped. Um, but a great story. I, you know, it, I don't think it caught as much mainstream media attention as many wanted it to. And I think that's just a case of that's lacrosse. It's hard for us as a sport to kind of get that mainstream recognition. It's just the nature of the beast. There was a fantastic article on SI.com. Uh, I know it's floating around Twitter for a while about, you know, NHLers and their connection to lacrosse and, and how it helped them. And, and it's a fantastic piece. And those are great stories that allow lacrosse to gain some momentum. But how many times does lacrosse get mentioned in mainstream media for goals or true highlights or great personal stories or great stories like the Thompson brothers? And then how many times when a goalie fight happens does it blow up or a goalie hit? It's... It's the rap that we have, and we have to find a way to get away from that. And some of the things that go on during, uh, during games and on the turf are what we need to showcase and highlight, and you know, NLL Productions is doing a better job at doing that. Um, Tyson Geik has just been crushing it over the past few weeks. Um, you know, he, he's, he, he's doing all that he can to tell these stories. The piece he did on the Thompson Brothers um, leading up, to the world record game uh, was fantastic. I know he's going to be in Colorado uh, this coming weekend to do a piece on the atmosphere in Denver. Uh, and he just does a great job. Of, he, he understands the new media. And so, you know, we're starting to highlight these things. And you can go into NLL TV and you can go and watch all the games back and you can go and watch old stuff and there's highlights and game clips and, and all those things. Um, the U-Hawk cam is there. So, you know, we're getting there and we're, we're trying to build this database of, of highlights and videos because we don't have it. And I think that's one thing that we truly lack as a league and as a sport. We don't have an NFL films. Like we have it now with NLL productions, but you can't go back to the beginning of pro lacrosse and well, you can, there is some, but not to the extent of, you know, you can't go back and see the 1990 championship game or the 94 game, or I can't go back and find, you know, my first NLL goal. Because all those tapes are just on VHS in someone's closet somewhere. Not all the games and game films are out there, so we need to start 
this is basically, you know, the start of the new era with NLL Productions trying to build all this database. So, you know, we need to continue to tell these stories. Uh, we need to get the good out, keep the bad away from other people's eyes, and just play the damn game. Because um, we haven't seen a fight all year other than the preseason fight. And I think the reason why the National Lacrosse League handed such, I don't want to say stiff because they weren't, but just immediate response and suspensions was to kind of put the fear in people and players and to say, hey, you know what? We're not going to put up with it. You want to fight? Fight. You want to be the second and third fight? You want to come off the bench? You want to leave your crease during a fight? We're going to suspend you. And over the course of two weekends, seven games, we haven't had a fight yet. So there has to be a lot of stuff for for the highlight films and the highlight reels. And there were some spectacular goals this weekend. Spectacular. Uh, The poll um, that the NLL has put out, uh, which was the better goal, the Curtis Dixon jump goal against Vancouver, or the Jerome Thompson no-look backhand against Saskatchewan. Both fantastic goals, but uh, my goal of the week was Reese Dutch's one-handed power play goal. Uh, Early in that contest, I think it was in the second quarter, it was just ridiculous. One-handed, spun off a defender, and fired it short side. Little bouncer. And as we segue back into the Vancouver Stealth, it's just crazy to think that not only are they 2-0, not only did they beat the Mammoth and Roughnecks on back-to-back nights, but as Steve Ewan of the province pointed out, they're doing it without Garrett Billings, Corey Conway, and their top draft pick, James Ray. And I asked this question a few weeks ago, and I'm still going to ask it because people are asking me, what does GM Doug Locker, even head coach Jamie Batley, happy birthday, by the way, Bats, um, what do they do when those guys are healthy? You know, Keegan Ball played fantastic Friday night. Didn't have a stellar night the following night, but he still contributed. But is, is he the guy that's going to be on the bubble? And is he the guy you're going to take out? Because you're not taking out McCready. You're not taking out Dutch. You're not taking out Small. You're not taking out uh, Logan Shuss. Um, Jordan Durston is your third lefty. You're probably not going to take him out. So you have to look at the right side because you have one righty who's healthy and ball. And then you have three guys that can come in. Now... If Billings is the first to come back, how do you? Where do you slot him in? If he's healthy, if you're wanting to put him back in, question is, do you put him in? Do you put Corey Conway back in? And let's say you do, then what do you do? Who do you take out to make room for one of those guys in order for you to keep the chemistry? Of your club. Because the way the back end, actually, the way this whole team played was fantastic. You know, they played uh, Tommy McKee on Friday night. He didn't play Saturday. Um, Brendan Fowler is an incredible story in so much that. He wasn't very good in the first half at taking draws. And then he was phenomenal in the second half. And if you're going to run him as a a pseudo-fogo, I'm not sure you're going to take him out. Probably depends on who your team's playing. But I I just don't know which way they go. Supposedly, um, Fowler's not going to be there this weekend uh, for the home game. I'm not sure what the reasoning was. I didn't quite catch it. Um, but supposedly he's not going to be there. So uh, do you move Tommy McKeon to his spot? Or is this now allowing you to move in one of your right-handers? 
But again, if you do, like, the Stealth played six forward. That's it. So now do you drop in, now if you're going to bring one of those guys in, do you run seven forwards? And that could break up that chemistry that they had and that rhythm that they had. You're not sitting out as many shifts when there's only six of you. And this is a team that's playing with a lot of confidence. And not just their offense. Their defense has been really, really good. You know, they only allowed 11 against Calgary and 9 to Colorado. And the old adage, my good friend Artie Webster always used to say, if you can hold a team to under 12, you're probably going to win. If you can hold a team under 12 goals, you're probably going to win. And they've done it twice against two very powerful offenses. And a lot of that has to go with the play of their defense. Um, Clay Richards has that group playing a very aggressive game. um, But they're not getting too stretched out. And more importantly, one thing that we saw last year is You know, they're picking their times when to run the floor, and they're not making mistakes in transition. That was one thing they did so often last year, and even in years past, since they moved to Vancouver, is guys have made bad decisions in transition. They're not making those bad decisions anymore. And that goes a long way to keeping a team, you know, steady, comfortable, and moving forward. And then, of course, you have to get great goaltending. And as I kind of said earlier, I thought Tyler Richards kept the stealth in that game in the first quarter on Saturday night. Uh, the save he made early on Chris Wardle, I think, was huge. Uh, Wardle slipped out through a, a great pick with Zach Greer. He was left all alone, caught it in tight, made a couple saves. And T. Rich made a, a fantastic save in tight to keep it out of the net. And he continued to make a lot of those saves. Now, the Mammoth didn't... The Mammoth had more shots than than Calgary did. But I think he was tested more in the Calgary game. A lot, a lot, a lot of the Mammoth shots were late in 30s, were from way far out, bad angles. And those are goals that just... Rarely go in on T-Rich. There was a couple from Jeremy Noble that um, you could probably clock it with a stopwatch and not even need a speed gun. It like wasn't going very fast. And that happened too many times. Um, guys were jumping in front of shots uh, to stop balls. They were getting in the way of shooters. Sticks were in lanes. I, I don't know how many times uh, while we were calling the game on altitude and I looked at Jamie Shuchuk and said, they just picked it off again. And it was just lazy passes across the top and the D guys picking it off and running down the floor. It happened too often. But that's because the Vancouver D was in the right positions and they were forcing those passes and they knew where they were going to come from. And Tyler Richards was back to his old self. He made 43 saves Saturday, 36 the night before. He has lost a lot of weight um, and not in a bad way. When I saw him after the game, I, I said, man, that yoga is really paying off. You're starting to look really slim and fit. And he goes, well, when you're an old man like me, and then I laughed at him. Uh, he said, when I'm, you're an old man like me and you get a knee injury, you got to do everything you can to get back in shape and make sure nothing happens to him, to you again. And he's rededicated himself off the floor to getting in shape, getting in good health and good physical condition. And so far, it's it's working. They're going to get another test at home against the Calgary Roughnecks at the LEC. And it's going to be a heck of a lacrosse game. And when you have to play a divisional rival back-to-back weekends, um, and if they can win both of those games and be, you know, three games clear of Calgary... That's a great start. When a lot of people looked at this Vancouver club early on in the year and you looked at their schedule, you thought, oh man, they could be in trouble after the first third of the year. 
because the schedule was not very favorable at all. You know, you start in Calgary and then in Colorado on the road. That's not easy. And then Calgary comes to town. Then you have to go to Buffalo and go to Saskatchewan on back-to-back weekends. So those opening five games, they could easily have gone 0-5. And a lot of people thought that they might have. Based on the teams that we've seen where the red, white, black, and shades of yellow that the Stealth are. But now that they're 2-0 and the way that they've been playing, could they go 5-0 and to start the year? Maybe. Calgary's going to get Shiliano back this weekend. So that makes a bit of a difference. But just like what we saw Georgia do to Saskatchewan, they ate the defense up. And if it wasn't for that late fourth quarter comeback by Calgary where they outscored Vancouver 4-1, to you know, that game could, could have looked a lot different. Speaking of Calgary, another one-goal loss. Like, this is the M.O. of this club. They were in nine one-goal games last year, one or two-goal games. They've already lost one this year. We're going to see how much of an MVP candidate Frankie Shiliano is starting this weekend. Because I truly think that if he plays the way he did for Maple Ridge this summer, he truly and arguably could be an MVP candidate. If he can do for Calgary what he did for Maple Ridge this year, there's no doubt in my mind he can get MVP votes. And he's going to have to be that good. Because as much as we all want to see Christian Del Bianco be the next great thing, and I again, I believe he will be, uh, he's still got some work to do. And Frankie Shiliano's been there. He's a little bit more polished. And I think they're going to need him to just kind of solidify things, and I think that starts this weekend uh, when the Roughnecks go to Vancouver. This is just one of those days where um, unfortunately, I didn't have any guests. I tried to get um, a couple of people on. It just didn't quite work. Um, but I kind of have a lot to talk about and dissect and, and, and think about. And when we go back and we look at great performances at the end of the year and some of the best games, I think the game Kyle Jackson had for Rochester is going to be talked about. Um, we talked about how lethal... Uh, Rochester was in the power play that game going 9 for 14. Um, But when you scroll down and you see 11 points in the Rochester total column and you have to go to the other side and see who it was and you see that it was Kyle Jackson, you're like, really? You sure it wasn't Jared Davis? Because that's actually what I thought when I first saw the score sheet. And then I had to, you know, follow with my finger straight across. I'm like, no, wow. It was the seventh overall pick, Kyle Jackson. Straight out of Sarnia. It's his second game of the year. He played the Toronto game. Didn't have a single point in the Toronto game. And I remember talking to one guy and he said, man, Kyle Jackson didn't impress me much at all. You know, he had two pims, seven loose balls, two cause turnovers, 15 shots, no goals, no points, nothing. And then New England comes to town. He gets two goals and drops nine dimes for 11 points. He, you know what? It just hit me. I think he just beat my Rochester record for most points in a home debut by a rookie. Side note, I don't actually know if I hold the record or not. All I do know is I had seven in my rookie home debut for Rochester. He had 11. He had more assists than I had points. If they can get this group going, and we know that they're without Jammer for a while. We know they're without Corey Vitarelli for a while. Now they're going to be without Dan Dawson for a while. He might be back this weekend. We don't know. 
Um, all Rochester, Rochester said was it was personal reasons. Um, of course, uh, for those that don't know, um, Father Dan Dawson uh, just became father to twins, so um, that may have had something to do with it. But when the news came out that the Nighthawks were placing him on uh, the holdout list due to personal reasons, a lot of people were starting to worry, and I had people messaging me, is he going to get traded? Is he holding out? I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Dawson isn't the selfish type of guy to hold out or ask for more money or demand a trade. It's not his MO. I said, if they're going to say it's personal reasons, it's going to be for the right reasons. So uh, we hope, and I'm sure they hope, that number six gets back this weekend um, because they could still use some veteran help. Uh, Stephen Keel was back in the roster this weekend, so that was a huge boost to get him back. He dipped, dipped in with six points, three and three. So if you can get him back, you can get Dawson back. Now you get Kyle Jackson going a little bit, and you can get some of these young guys feeling a little more confidence. You get Matt Vince playing the way he normally can play. You know, maybe that game against Toronto was just a one-game blip. Um, and now they've moved on. And I think that's the way a lot of teams are taking this year. Is, you know, the old adage of it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. I get it. Um, you may not win a championship in January, but you could lose it. Yeah, maybe, but one game's not going to break a season. You know, that was the huge talking point in Colorado um, after they lost to Vancouver. Yeah, sure, you know what? Vancouver's 2-0, that's fantastic, that's amazing. Colorado fans are like, oh, no, blow it up. Trade this guy. We need Adam Jones back, blah, blah, blah. Like, the sky's not falling. And I don't think any of the nine teams are like, okay, where we are is how we're going to finish. Like, let's calm down. Because it can be as good, as quick as it can go bad. But we had a lot of good this weekend because, man, and let's, like I said, let's just hope that this weekend coming up is going to be just as exciting as the weekend we just had. And the four games that we do have really do set us up for some interesting matchups because it starts Saskatchewan at Toronto, a rematch of the 2015 Champions Cup final in Toronto. As mentioned, you're most likely going to get Aaron Bold back for the rush. Ben McIntosh will be back for the rush. But this is a Toronto club. I'm excited to see them for the second time out. And we talked about this with Tom Schreiber uh, last weekend when he was on the show. Um, they only played two games in January. So they have a lot of time off. So they have to make sure um, that they're ready whenever they step on the field and be ready to go. Make sure their practices are you know on time and on pace and, and they're using all that time that they have together to the best of their abilities. I don't really know why I said make sure their practices are on time. It was just a weird thing. Just kind of popped out like that. Um, but that's, you know, those are measuring stick games for both teams. And then Georgia at Buffalo, another measuring stick game. You know, is Georgia as good as they proved to be last weekend? Can Buffalo rebound at home from the loss against Colorado where they didn't look very good? Um, New England and Colorado, two teams coming off losses. Colorado at home for the second straight time. New England on the road for the second straight game. Their longest travel trip other than when they have to go to Vancouver. Sean Evans and the New England offense against the Colorado defense. That's a matchup I'm looking forward to seeing. And then again, the game we've talked about quite a bit, Calgary at Vancouver. Can Calgary bounce back? Is Vancouver the real deal? I can't wait. It's going to be a pretty awesome weekend all around. So if you can get to a game, please do. And as always, take a friend. Because the more friends you take, the more beers they buy for you. Just makes sense. It's just smart business. 
But I digress. Um, NLLTV.com, where you can watch all the games this weekend, of course. Uh, stay tuned to Inside Lacrosse for all your up-to-date news and information on pretty much everything lacrosse. Um, the Arena Lacrosse League had their opening weekend over the weekend. I really don't know how it went. Um, Stamper wrote an article on IL and sounded like all the games were pretty close. Uh, I think all the games will be up on the JVI YouTube page, so you'll be able to go back and watch them. But I've had a chance to kind of quickly look at uh, the Toronto Monarchs Paris River Wolves game. Um, Stamper and Ryan McMichael doing the commentary. Didn't look like there were a lot of fans there. Um, I know Stamper said in his article that it was a pretty decent-sized crowd. Um, but, it, you know, maybe all the people were sitting underneath the broadcast location like they do at the LEC during the summer, and you can't see all the people. But didn't look like there were a lot of people there. I still don't know how I feel about it all. I don't. Um, I think the National Lacrosse League needs a farm system. Um, They need a feeder league of some sort. I'm just not sold that the ALL is the answer. I wasn't sold that CELACS was the answer. And I don't know what the answer is. But it's somebody who's trying to do something to keep players' sticks in their hands. So you can't really knock it that hard. I just don't know how long it's going to last. So we'll keep you updated as best we can. And we move on. And when we move on, it's to week three of the National Lacrosse League. And like I said, there's four games. You can check them all out on NLL TV. For those fans in Denver, um, it'll be on altitude. Hope to see you there. I promise, I promise next week to have a guest of some sort, maybe even two. Um, As mentioned, we tried to get a few guys, uh, different guys on the show, but unfortunately uh, some things came up, plans fell through, it happens. But uh, next week we will jam-pack this show with a couple guests, so you'll just hear less of me, more of them, and get some more insights, thoughts, and knowledge into this crazy world of national lacrosse league. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Enjoy the games, everybody. And remember, be excellent to each other. Oh, but